Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. everybody that made it to the house of the Lord on this spring-like filling day and yesterday as well. Ephesians 5 verse 31 the Bible says for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. 32 this is a great mystery the apostle Paul says but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. This morning I want to kind of continue a little bit with uh, what I was dealing with a couple weeks ago. felt like that maybe a focus for this year should be family. And uh, so I want to continue with something that I was just kind of delving with a couple weeks ago, although we dealt with it a lot. Hey Amen. I want to continue to deal with that this morning and talk to you about, uh, two weeks ago I talked to you about family-driven faith Today, I'd like to talk to you about family-modeled faith. Family-modeled faith. Amen. If we could ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, God, we need you today, Lord, in this place. God, we're appreciative. God, of being able to be here. God, thankful for everyone that's come to the house of the Lord. Pray, O Lord, that you're able to minister and speak, God, to our hearts and lives. God, give us understanding and instruction. Lord Jesus, through your word today, help me, Lord, to speak it, God, in such a way it would be understood, God, and yet also, Lord Jesus, taken in consideration, God, those that are sitting in my audience today, and we'll thank you and we'll praise you, God, for what you can do, Lord Jesus, through these words, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. Shake a neighbor's hand if it's appropriate right before you're seated. Tell them how good it is to see them, how nice they look. Amen. How blessed you are to be setting by them and so on and so forth. Family modeled faith. Family modeled faith. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter number 5, he spends the last 11 verses uh, speaking about and talking about family and in particular marriage. He's speaking about the family, the marital aspect of the family and interjected throughout the, those last few verses of Ephesians 5. Uh, Paul is interjecting throughout these and he's drawing parallels of uh, the man and the woman in a marriage within the family between Christ and the church. So much so that Paul basically lets us know when we get to uh, the last few verses that the whole time he has been talking about the marriage dynamic of the family he has been really talking about as well Christ and the relationship that he has or the church has with him and so the mind of God really really the mind of God from the very beginning of time all the way back to the book of Genesis from the very beginning the mind of God had the church in mind uh, the church the concept of the church wasn't an afterthought of God it wasn't just something one day you know what I think maybe we should have something that's devised called a church and maybe its birth should be somewhere in the future on that no it wasn't an afterthought from the very beginning God had in mind this concept uh, this organism if you want to call it that called the church and so what God did what God did 
having this, this idea, this concept. It already willed that this was going to be something that would be. God created a small-scale, visible model to represent what was at that time invisible, to represent what that time was intangible. At that time, just it was a forethought of something in the future, a future reality. And what I'm talking about is the church. God built a model in the book of Genesis that would represent the concept and the will that he had in mind for the future, and that is the church. And what he used as a model, what he used as that small-scale model that was going to represent something that's far larger than what it was is the marriage aspect of family, a man and a woman coming together to provide a home, provide a home. Years ago, years ago, before a, a bishop ever uh, came and, and took the church, the, past, the pastorship of this church. Uh, we were uh, saints of South Gibson Apostolic Chapel, as many of you know, under the direction of Brother Sizemore. And years ago, years ago, Pastor Sizemore built, I remember this very distinctly, I was probably maybe only eight years old, but I remember this. He built a model of the gymnasium that presently stands behind the church over there at South Gibson today. He built a model of that before it was ever constructed, before the ground was ever broken. He built a model of what that would look like, what that would consist of. The insides, of course, if you've been over in that gymnasium, the, ins the insides of that are different now from what it was uh, planned originally because of renovations and so on and so forth and growth. Uh, but originally there was just a gymnasium floor with the kitchen where it is and above it were those Sunday school classes. There wasn't no office over to the other side or, or no prayer rooms on the other side and nothing upstairs on the other side. But nevertheless, what we were involved in at South Gibson, we were involved in a building program for that gymnasium. And so it was a concept and idea of, of Pastor Sizemore's and those that were involved. It was just a concept. It, you couldn't see it was just an idea. You couldn't see it. People were investing money in it, but they didn't. it was just an idea. It was just a concept. And, and so to, to take his concept and idea that was invisible and, and make it something more tangible that somebody could even look at and put their hands on, uh, he made this, this model. He, he, he brought a little reality to the invisible uh, so that people could really picture what was going to be behind that church. So they could really begin to realize what, what was going to be behind there. Because sometimes people have a hard time grabbing a hold of just a concept or an idea. And so Pastor Sizemore built a scale model of that gym of what it would look like whenever it was completed. And, and he made it where you could remove the roof off the building. I remember this so well, just being eight-year-old. I remember him bringing it out in front of all the congregation. You could take the roof off of the gymnasium and you could look inside and he even had the stairs that went up both sides. He had made this himself. The stairs that went up both sides to the upper level and had even the basketball goes. I, just, I was enamored by this. The basketball goes at each end with their little hoops. He had done this. And so with that, you could really start to see everything. Um, it was to 
scale. So everything was properly proportional, you know, to each other. The, the number of doors that it was going to have, exterior, interior, the, the number of windows that were, that were going to be uh, in the building and where they were going to be placed upon completion, all of that was there. And so whenever the gym, after we broke ground and building and construction uh, went along, you could see, you know, the correspondence between the model and, and what the reality was that was taking place. And so whenever the gymnasium was finished, there wasn't any doubts in anybody's mind that that was finally finished because they could look at the model and then they could look at the finished product and they corresponded. There wasn't any windows missing, the stairs where they were, should have been, the bathrooms where they should have been, the material where it should have all been. There, there, wasn't no, there wasn't no confusion because that which came into fruition was exactly like what had been modeled. But had somebody tampered with the original design of the model, it would have gendered a little bit of confusion because the finished product would not mirror what was intended or purposed. As a matter of fact, if the model was incorrect, anyone looking at it, if the model was incorrect, anybody looking at it would say to themselves, well, I assume this is how the finished product is going to be. Amen. As a matter of fact, for somebody, and Pastor Sizemore did this, but, and, and it was his concept, it was his concept, his thought, so he, he, he made the model to illustrate his concept and thought, if, if someone came in and changed his model without his authorization, the concept and the idea that the model represented some people would think should change. Someone say amen. What I'm saying this morning is that Christ and the church were on God's mind whenever he created the family, particularly the marriage. The design was very simple, but the design was effective. The design was effective. He said, I'm going to take one man and I'm going to take one woman I'm going to join them together in an inseparable fashion. I'm going to cause each to make concessions for one another, to submit to one another. I'm going to have there to be a generated respect for, from the woman for the man, and I'm going to cause the man to lavish his love upon the woman because she needs that more than anything else. And so God devised the model in Genesis to represent, amen, the idea and concept of the church that would later be birthed in the book of Acts. I don't want anybody, somebody might be getting up tight right now. I, I'm going to be very delicate today, but we live in a society where the model has been tampered with. Overall, and I know people, I know some of you sitting here, have, you've went through things, so on and so forth, and there's been things that have happened to your family model. But what I'm trying to convey this morning, I'm not taking out a license against any one individual in here. I'm talking about society as a whole and the workings of the adversary as a whole has made, if you will, concessions concerning the model, and the model has been tampered with. And so whenever that happens, away from the original design of the one who created the model, then there is not a proper reflection of the idea and concept God had in mind concerning his church and himself. Someone say amen. 
Because you take one man and one woman and you join them in an inseparable fashion. If I break it down like this, you take one God that was expressed in one person, namely Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.19, and you, you join that one God that's expressed in one person and you join him to one church. And you join those two in an inseparable fashion. Amen. Paul said in verse 23 of Ephesians 5, he said, Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Christ is the head of the church. And the second phrase, and he is the savior of the body. One of those phrases is just paralleling the other phrase. All right. Christ is the head. He in that next phrase, it refers back to Christ. He is the Savior. Head and Savior are parallel on each other. Church and body, and it makes it nice that that just kind of landed like that. Thanks, Brother Zach McGee. I don't know how you did it. But, uh, church and body just right among each other. So Christ is the head of the church, or if you will, Christ is the head of the body. And a body, a body just, just are physical selves here this morning. A body is joined to a head, for the most part, by and large, in an inseparable fashion. It's not like we got a little ball bearing here and we push and we just slip that thing right off. You understand what I'm saying? It's formed in an inseparable fashion. Now that does not mean it can't be separated. Doesn't mean that somebody's head can't be severed from their body. We've known people to be decapitated. But the body wasn't created to be easily divided. Amen wasn't created to be easily divided. And so God used the model, the, the family, to model this faith, this, this concept and idea of the church in Christ from the very beginning. Again, I'm not, my, my purpose is not to be insensitive to anybody's uh, circumstances today. So please do not take me as that. But I, I want us to understand that whenever the model gets corrupted, then the concept it was designed to be represent is confused. Amen. Is confused. And so the attack against the family, marriage by even divorce and separation is a sinister attempt to rescript, if you will, the idea that it represents Christ and his church. Christ and his church. Mark 10, verses 2 through 9, and we'll go through these just a little bit. The Bible says, And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And the scripture relates there, tempting him they come tempting the Lord with this question now I want to relay something to you that if Christ at this point this is not what he did do but had he done this if Christ at this point just plainly said yes it is lawful for a man to put away his wife then he would have made an alteration to the model someone hear me he had made an alteration to the model and as a result the concept about what it represented between Christ and the New Testament church. It would have been blurred, if you will, if he had said yes, because that was not the original design. If he had stated yes to that, there had been an alteration to the model, and thus an alteration to the concept and the idea of the relationship between Christ and his church. But the Bible says in verse 3, uh, instead of him saying yes or no, he did something that he all time did. He answered their question with a question. And he asked in verse 3, and he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? What did the man Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement to put her away. He said, Moses suffered. Everybody say suffered. 
The word suffer comes from a Greek word that means to turn over, transfer, allow, give leave, liberty, license, let, permit, and suffer. He said, what did Moses the man say? What did he command? They said, man said that we're going to allow this. We're going to let this be permissible. We're going to turn this over. We're going to give liberty or license in order for this to happen. As a matter of fact, that Greek word that is translated suffer there comes actually from two other Greek words. One's a preposition, but the other one means to turn, a turn, a revolution, a variation, or a turning. In other words, there was a standard, there was an original design set in Genesis by God. But he said Moses, man, allowed a turning from that, allowed a revolution, a variation. He made and allowed something to be permissible. He gave a license. He made an allowance, all right? But that was not the norm. Someone hear me? The Bible says in verse number 5, And Jesus had answered and said to them, For the hardness of your heart. They said, Moses made an allowance. He said, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. In other words, Moses made this allowance and turned from the standard because there was a hardness of the heart of the people. And as a result of that, he allowed this. Folks, if I can stay as Paul states today before anybody gets bogged down, I'm speaking to you this morning about Christ and the church. Christ is the head. The church is the body. Amen. Listen to me. The head which houses the mind. Does everybody agree your, your head has a mind in it? <laughs> or a brain? We're hoping so. Aaron Brown, he needs to check with somebody. Amen. Just to verify. This, this head that has a mind, has a brain. The body which houses your heart. All right. The head which houses the mind, he said, is Christ. The body which houses the heart is the church listen scripture is trying to relate to us that the mind of Christ which is the head is trying to direct the heart of the church amen the brain tells the heart to do what the heart does amen and so the mind which is in the head Christ is trying to tell the heart that's in the church what to do the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 16 who for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? The Bible says, but we have the mind of Christ. How can they state that? Because there is a relationship that's based upon God's model from the very beginning. One God with one church. Amen. He is the head. He's the mind. But we contain the heart. We can say then as the church, this heart connected to that head, so to speak, we have the mind of Christ or at least should have the mind of Christ. And so the heart of the church should constantly be reflecting the mind of Christ as long as the heart doesn't become hardened. Amen. As long as the heart doesn't become hardened. Verse 6, Christ goes on, Mark. We're back to Mark. I'm sorry, you, you did good. Good job. Amen. Mark 6, but Christ says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He says, let's go back to my original model. Made them male and female. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So then they are more, no more they, twain but one flesh. 
What wherefore God have joined together, let no man put asunder. What God is saying, let's go back to the original model. Why is that important, God? Why is that important? Even outside of all of the allowances and permissions of what even Moses allowed to be done, let's go back to the original model because we got to keep it in its origin because it's reflecting something bigger than itself. It's reflecting something more than itself. It's reflecting my relationship with my church. So I'm trying to tell everybody today, amen, let's just pull aside the cobwebs of whatever society is doing, amen, and it even happens in the church. I understand there's allowance and permissions amen for some of these things but we got to go back to the original model when we want to understand the relationship of Christ with his church but there's some people that's getting a wrong idea a misconception of the relationship between Christ and his church because they're not going back to the original design of the model that he formed in the book of Genesis from the beginning what are you saying? There's an attack against the family. Yes. And when you attack the family, you attack the original design and model that God had for his church and for Christ. The adversary knows he can get at the church through the family design. Is somebody hearing me today? Through the family design. And so with that, and again, I, I, I want to be delicate, with that we have the separation and upheaval of homes, families, and marriages growing rampant in our world today. What's that do for a society that doesn't know anything else that blurs their concept of Christ in the church? Uh-huh. Amen. Allegiances are minimized in the family. And so we see a reflection then of people's allegiances minimized concerning their relationship with God. He's a latchkey God. Take him on the weekend. Take him when you need him. You hearing me? Hallelujah. But God's family, God's model in the beginning was intended that it would be a forever relationship. And so on that idea... He says that should reflect the church. That the church's relationship with Christ, the church's, mind you, relationship with Christ should be a forever relationship. Amen. And Jesus even said there, he said, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. Talking about this head, body, not easily separated, but it doesn't mean it can't be separated. Christ wouldn't say, wherefore what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, if that didn't imply a couple could separate not maybe necessarily with his blessing but it had the ability you can cut this head off if you wanted to but the intent is for it to stay attached to the body amen you can separate it you can pull it you can cut it off you can find all kinds of devices in order to remove the head from the body but that wasn't the original intent of the design of the body. He means for it to stay intact. And we so know in our culture, people have severed the head, so to speak. Man and woman, there's been a severing and a splitting of man and woman in the home and in the family. But that wasn't the original design. Amen. Hallelujah. Wasn't the, you know, God didn't give the human body a neck so they'd have somewhere to lay uh, their head down for the chopping block. That wasn't, you know. The forethought of God was, you know what? They really need a neck so that they'll have some purpose when they go into the guillotine. Huh? No. Kevin DeYoung, he said this. He says, if all you hear are the reasons a marriage covenant might be broken, 
all you hear are the reasons why a marriage covenant might be broken. He said it's like learning to fly by practicing your crash landings or training for battle by practicing your retreats. He said whatever exceptions there might be, the main thing is that marriage is supposed to be permanent. Amen. I know, I know this is delicate. Folks, I'm, I'm speaking to you about Christ and his church. Might I add, Christ's relationship to his church is to be the same. It's to be permanent. So we're taking this one man, this one woman, we're joining them in an inseparable fashion. But the model is being tampered with. And Christ in the church, Christ in the church, in some regards there's a confusion and there's a blurred understanding. And I walk softly here. But uh, again, and I've stated this before, you've heard me, keep all things in proper perspective. Issues are issues and people are people. Issues need addressed and people need love. You hearing me? Issues are issues. People are people. Issues need to be addressed. People are love. The model is being tampered with, the original design. Whenever we consider in a world that is constantly endorsing homosexual marriages, One man, one woman. In Genesis, every creature, fowl, creeping beasts, fruit-bearing trees, reproduced after their kind. Genesis chapter number 1, verse 11. You can get it, Brother Zach, if you want to, but you don't have to. In Genesis 1, verse 11, grass produced after his kind. Herb-yielding seed after his kind. Fruit yielding fruit. Fruit yielding trees after their kind. God said, it is good. They're reproducing after their kind. In verse 21 of the same chapter, great whales, every living creature after their kind. In other words, whales were producing whales. Every other creature according to its own designation after its own kind. Every winged fowl after his kind. God says again, it's good. They're producing after their kind. And he even said, note the words here. Now I'm not done with this, and I'm starting to feel the anointing come on. Note here, the Bible says that he also told those that were reproducing after their kind, go on and be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them. Be fruitful. Reproduce. Mm -hmm. Verse 25, he said the beast of the earth would produce after his kind. The cattle, after their kind. The creeping things, after their kind. And once again, he stated, it is good that this is happening. It's good that the beasts are producing after their kind. The cattle, after their kind. The creeping things, after their kind. Then when you read verses 27 through 28, you read that God created male. And he created female. And he blessed them. And he told them, male and female, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And when God saw everything being made and God saw everything reproducing after each their own kind, he saw everything as good. And the first thing that God saw that wasn't good was man being alone. Adam's given the responsibility of naming the animals. He's naming them and it comes to the realization and no doubt it was from the very beginning but even a realization for Adam himself that he had no counterpart didn't have a counterpart God says it's not good for man to be alone so God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam 
God took a rib from the man and he made woman and then brought that woman unto her man, Adam. Amen. Listen, what God gave Adam, what God gave him in the beginning to cure his aloneness, what God gave him in the beginning that was a help meet, which means what was suitable for Adam, what God gave him that was suitable for him was not another man. He gave man a woman whereby he could be fruitful and multiply. According to a magazine article of the Pacific Standard of August 15, 2014, it was stated except for bacteria, nearly all life reproduces sexually at least some of the time and two distinct sexes are generally necessary to do this. Listen to me. I'm addressing an issue. I love people. You hearing me right now? If God wanted two homosexual males or two homosexual females to reproduce their kind, he would have made both the male and the female species capable of reproduction within their own gender. Somebody hear me right now. If he wanted that, he would have made females to be able to lay with a female and produce a child. He would have made the male to be able to lay with a male and produce a child. But God didn't do that. Furthermore, listen to me. The concept and idea, and I know there's all kinds of things wandering around concerning this, but the idea that, and the thought and the process that God made me this way. You hearing me? Or I was born this way is really somewhat biblically erroneous. Because if, listen, if you produce after your kind, if everything produces after its kind, then heterosexual, straight parents produce heterosexual kids, not homosexual kids. Amen. I'm being kind here. I'm talking about the model of marriage. All right? I've yet to see a homosexual family reproduce anything. Except confusion for the original design and the original model and somehow started to flirt with the relationship between Christ and his church which it represents, which it embolizes, which it shows forth. Amen. Folks, if God wanted more of this, this, this lifestyle, alternate lifestyle that they are talking about, he would have intended it in his family model. They've been able to reproduce, but that is not what God did. It's not what he done. For that matter, you say baloney pastor I say baloney back to you because ever since God instituted one man one woman in a forever relationship it's been under attack from the very beginning yes because in chapter 4 listen to me in chapter 2 we have this man and woman being brought together in chapter 3 of Genesis we had the fall of this man and woman in chapter 4 polygamy is entering the picture through Lamech He's taken on multiple wives. What's happening? There's an attack against the original design. In chapter 6, before the day of Noah, they're marrying and given in marriage. Amen. The attack against the family. In chapter 16, adultery is cropping up. In Genesis, in chapter 19, homosexuality. In chapter 34, fornication. In chapter 38, incest. In chapter 39, prostitution and seduction. From the very beginning, the marriage, the home, the family has been and 
going on with us, honey, he has a higher purpose than just messing with you and your husband. This is more than just about personalities within a marital relationship. This is something bigger than that. He's trying to get at what that model represents. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Listen, you want to mess up? You want to mess that up? Male and male, female and female? Listen to me. If it's a model of Christ in this church, Christ doesn't need another Christ. Christ doesn't need another Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Amen. That one God that was expressed in one person, Jesus Christ, there's not another Christ. But the model of today's family is telling us two males. Uh Uh-huh. To Christ. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 23. He says, if someone says, here is Christ or there is Christ, he said, don't believe it. Why? Because there's only one Christ. There's only one Christ. Christ is the head. We don't need a body with two heads. But the concept of the model of same-sex stuff then would illustrate then the concept is we need a two-headed body. Or just two heads by themselves, I guess I should say. Some are trying to make it a two-headed body. Two males and one female. How about a little orgy going on? Well, glory. But we don't need a two-headed body. Amen. That's what sometimes this two-male marital family model is portraying. The church, for that matter, is one body. Neither do we need two bodies with no head. Yet the female-female aspect in the model, that's what it's confusingly blurring the relationship of Christ and His church. We don't need two churches. We don't need two churches. Understand, uh, the body is made up of many members. All right? New Testament even tells us Throughout the New Testament, it's replete with verses mentioning the oneness of this body called the church. Constantly talks about the oneness of this body called the church. There's only one church. They may be many members, but there's only one body that differ in their function, that differ in their row. Amen. But they're members of this one body, one body. They don't act by themselves. They're part of the one body. Their directives, if you will, come from the one head. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 8, the Bible says... For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Again, I speak to you concerning Christ and his church. Scripture, listen, before someone goes away angry at pastor this morning, please let Scripture speak. All right? I'm the voice, but I'm just reading something that I didn't write. The woman was created for man. The man was not created for woman. So in certain terms, listen to me, I know we can go different places, but in certain terms, we were not created for each other. Man for woman, woman for man. And here's the thing, folks. We can't make proper use of something 
unless we know what it was made for. You ever seen something you didn't realize? You know, sometimes, you know, me going in those old antique shops that kind of go beyond my dating. You know, I might pick something up. What is this? And the next question is, what is this for? You know what I'm saying? I could buy it, just share and take it home and use it for a purpose that wasn't even intended for its use or purpose because I don't have the knowledge about what it is or what it is for. But if I get the knowledge of what it is for, I can use it for its intended purpose. Mm-hmm. He said, the woman was made for man. I'm speaking to you about Christ and his church. The church was created for Christ, and it wasn't that Christ was made for the church. Because the dynamic today, sometimes in the family, is expressing something different. And it's happening in the church-Christ relationship. That God, you, I say jump. And you say how high. That the church is the authority making the dictates to a holy God. As though God is the servant underneath the church's care. That's not the way it is, folks. The church was created for Christ. We're under His care. Someone hear me say amen. What, what happens though? What happens whenever that's misinformed? You have a church that's being guided by their heart with no dictations from the mind. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to follow my heart. Let me tell you, that'll get you in a bunch of trouble, Jeremiah said, because it's desperately wicked. The Bible says, who can know it? It's deceitful even and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. And so the, the church was created for Christ and not the other way around. And so whenever we realize that the church was created for Christ, what it was created for, then we understand that it serves a purpose and we can utilize the church the way the church should be utilized. And so we have this one man, one woman in an inseparable bond. And beyond that, they are to cause, to cause the man and the woman to make concessions for the other and to submit to one another. Or can I say, and we'll break this down, cause the church and Christ to make concessions for the other and submit to one another. The Bible tells that the woman should be submitted to the man. The verses prior to that, verse uh, Ephesians chapter number uh, Ephesians chapter number 4 or 5 rather in verse number 21 says submit yourselves to one another in the fear of God. But listen to Ephesians 5.31 here real quick. and We'll break this down. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Now, we said, well, Pastor, you know, the model kind of breaks down here. If Christ and the church are supposed to make concessions for one another and submit to one another. You just said that Christ doesn't have to submit to the church. Let me say it like this. Christ submitted to the church one time. And the submission that he did in that one time was enough for him not to have to continue to. When Jesus Christ was on the cross, listen to me. Follow the design here. You have a man that virtually left his heavenly father, mm-hmm, left a home in glory, left his heavenly father and his earthly mother and was joined to his wife, the church. As a matter of fact, his separation was so severe from his heavenly father that on the cross, Jesus Christ even felt as though he was forsaken by God. 
He said in Mark 15, 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? That, 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 that leaving, that Christ, that man leaving, the father was so severe that he even felt forsaken by his own father. Jesus' earthly mother was standing in the crowd that day that he was crucified, but he was separated from her because he was joined himself to his wife. Someone hear me? He even makes provisions for her from the cross for her care because he had to leave her. He said in John 19 verse 26 when Jesus saw his mother from the cross and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. The next verse then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. He had left mom, left his earthly mother, left his heavenly father. He left or was separated from the heavenly father, his earthly mother, for the purpose of being joined to his wife. Now, listen to me. One would think that when Jesus Christ came down and took on himself the form of, uh, uh, the form of man and not of angels, the Bible says, the form of humanity, that he would have joined himself at that point in time. But that is not the case. He joined himself to his wife when he, listened to me, when he took the sins of the world upon himself mm -hmm. he took his wife's wife he took his wife and her sins on his shoulders I call that a pretty grand size concession I call that quite a submitting to the other the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11 speaking of Christ who did no sin Neither was guile found in his mouth. Verse 24, speaking of Christ, who his own self bear our sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, Christ, hath made him to be sin for us. Who? His wife. Someone hear me? Who knew no sin, that is he, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On that cross... The man Christ Jesus who knew no sin, did no sin, was made to be sin and bear our sins in his own body, his flesh on that tree. He became one flesh in certain senses with his wife on the tree because his flesh that knew no sin and she which did, there was no distinction between the two at that point in time. He took that sin in his own. Someone here. Flesh. And so every person that doesn't believe Christ or living in today's world, Christ never made no concessions for me. He's not submitting to me. Honey, he did that at Calvary. He did that at Calvary. And I would like you to consider everything that took place there and tell me he didn't make no concessions for you. Secondly, let's consider this. You ever considered the concept of grace? That, that concept that when you get, you're getting something what you don't deserve? Huh? Everybody talking about well, we're saved by grace? Well, you better be glad because you got what you didn't deserve. I call that a concession. I call that a submitting. You've received at the hand of God mercy, which is basically when you don't get what you should deserve. 
Uh-huh. I call that a concession. I call that somewhat of a submittal. Amen. Taking place. Folks, the family model, the family model faith is this. There's got to be a generated respect. Amen. From the church for Christ and for Christ to lavish his love on the church because the church needs that more than anything else. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and 8, and I'm trying to hurry along. The Bible says, and being found in fashion as a man. Speaking of Christ, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Listen. He didn't humble himself. And become obedient to death. For himself. That was for his church. That was for his wife. He did that for the object of his love. The object of his affection. Isaiah 53 when it's right concerning the suffering servant. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Let's consider, let's consider concessions, submissions of the Lord for us. He bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace. His stripes healed. Anybody wish to guess what it is? Our bodies Christ loved the church and we have good reason today then why the church should reverence why the church should reverence Christ for the great love which he loved us with and it was all the way back at the beginning found in the original family The original family model. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby, church, we may serve God acceptably with reverence, godly fear. Listen, the Bible, the Bible tells us of a, uh, of a parable in the Gospels. You can find it at any of the Gospels, but if you want to, a reference for one, Matthew 21, one of the Gospels. There's a parable there that's found where a man has went forth and he has planted a vineyard. Uh, he fenced in that vineyard and he also made a wine press inside of the fencing uh, where this vineyard is. He, he erected a, a, a tower there within the fencing. So he has a vineyard, a wine press, a tower. It's all fenced in. And he, he made this and created this and then he put it in the hands of somebody else to look after it, to, to, to uh, generate the, the, the vines and the wine press to operate all this because he was going into a far country, the Bible says. So he put it into somebody's hands to take care of this. And whenever the time came uh, that the harvest would be done and there would be some fruits, if you will, of what he had invested in, he, he sent some servants, the parable says. He sent some servants to receive the fruits, if you will, of the vineyard. And those that were caring, listen, those that were caring for the vineyard, whenever the servants of the master came to get the fruits that were rightfully his, whenever they came, the Bible says those that were caring for the vineyard, they beat one of the servants. And that another one of the servants, they had killed. And another one of the servants, they had stoned. 
And so the, the, the one who created all this, he said, well, I guess I'm going to go send some more servants and see if we can get anything done. And so whenever he sent more, more of that type of thing happened and occurred. And so at last he says, well, you know what? I, I guess at last I'll just send my son. And the wording is this. This is what the master thought. They will reverence my son. This is a picture. This is a picture of God sending the only begotten. This, this, this is a picture. It's a story in picture form of Christ coming down to you and I. And he was, he was, he was sure that they'll reverence my son because that's what the church and that's what the world should do because he made some concessions and submitted to them by taking their sin in his flesh and bore it on them. So God sent his son and God came down to the likeness of humanity as Jesus Christ and was certain he'd be reverenced. This world didn't reverence him. The world as a whole didn't reverence him. So he is for sure expecting to receive some reverence from his bride. Some reverence from the church. We got to go back to the original family model. The original family model. Because we don't want to have a constant misrepresentation here of what the marital family model was created for, which was the relationship between Christ and his church. Amen? Abuse within the family marital relationship is given the wrong depiction of what Christ and his church should be whether that be verbal, physical. We're going to leave a concept in people's minds that, that God abuses his bride. Or that God speaks, speaks in words and terms that he shouldn't speak to his bride. Or let's go here. Or that the church or Christ, either one is unfaithful to one another. Now there's instances where that's happened throughout the scripture that... His church has been unfaithful to him, but that's not what he intended. If you can stand with me this morning. Family modeled faith. Family modeled faith. Again, folks, it's not just a an attack necessarily in this world on you or your marriage as a person or people but again the enemy has a higher purpose because he's not ignorant what that original design was standing for and being a representative of either we can just bow our heads here this morning I'd like to pray thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.